Well, uh, this evening I'm going to be doing something a little bit different from what I do uh, normally, is that which rather than going through a passage of scripture, I'm going to be dealing with a subject. And the subject is, or the question I'm going to be dealing with, is, is there going to be a secret rapture? Now, some of you might be saying, what, what are you talking about? Well, let me explain. Um, there is a teaching that some Christians put forward that Jesus is going to come back, as it were, in two stages, two phases, as it were. They say that, first of all, he's going to come back without anybody realizing that he's back. And he's going to secretly snatch away all the true Christians and all the faithful Christians. So you wake up one day or perhaps you'll be just in your normal life and then suddenly all the true Christians are gone. And the non-Christians and the faithless Christians, uh, the the ones who've not been serving God properly, uh, will be left behind. And uh, often associated with this teaching, there's a view that uh, there'll be all sorts of terrible calamities leading up to this rapture. And there'll be different disasters or wars or earthquakes, famines, and, and people will say, ah. If, and, and the idea is that if you've got your, your wits about you and you can... You know what's going on in the world and you've got your eye on the Bible. Then you'll be able to tell when this rapture is just about to happen. And uh, you can get yourself ready uh, for it. Make sure that you're one of the people who gets raptured away, taken away. Now, uh, some also who believe in this secret rapture believe that it will be followed by a time of terrible suffering in the world, which they call the Great Tribulation. And they say, well, uh, it's going to be really awful. All the people are left behind. They're going to really, really suffer terribly. So you need to make sure that, that you're in a fit state so that when Jesus comes to snatch away the, the, the true believers, you're one of those who get snatched away, taken away, so you're not one of those who is left behind to suffer uh, this, this um, great tribulation. And then there are other things that are often associated with this view that, that um, after this tribulation, Jesus will then establish a rule on earth, a literal rule on earth for a thousand years, and then um, there will be uh, another uh, great, uh, great rebellion, and then Jesus will come again. Now, just to give a little bit of history... Uh, this view was really not put forward at all. Hardly to one or two minority people put it through, but really hardly anybody was advocating this view of a secret rapture before around 1815, 1820. And then there was a, a preacher, in, a Scottish preacher, who was preaching in London uh, by a man called, his name was Edward Irving. Who, who also actually was um, believed in the restoration of, 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 
of, of gifts of the Spirit, of, of um, gifts of apostles and prophets and so on. Uh, and he started to advocate this, this teaching. And this teaching was also picked up by a man called J.N. Darby. And he was the founder of the Plymouth Brethren. And so it spread among the, the movement which is called the Brethren. But then it sort of crossed over into mainstream, if I might call mainstream Christianity, part, well, perhaps largely through a, a reference Bible which was produced by a man called Schofield. Who, and this, this chain reference Bible was very, very popular, particularly in the United States. And this, this followed this, this uh, advocated this, this view. Now then what happened was in the early 20th century you had a growth of what was called in the United States liberalism where people didn't really, many Christians deserted their the, the, the belief in the authority of scripture. And the, the, the Christians who, who stuck to, to the Bible as the word of God were known as the fundamentalists. And this doctrine got tied on to the fundamentalist position. So if you were a conservative Christian in the United States, you were, it was almost expected that you would have this view of, of, um, of, 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 of a secret rapture and other things that were linked with this whole scheme of thinking, which was, called, which was known as, uh, it's been called dispensationalism. I won't go into that now. And so the idea is, if you're going to be a true Christian, well, you must believe the rapture. If, you're not, if you don't believe this, then you can't even, you, you, must be, you must not really believe the Bible at all. And then it's, it, this view had uh, gained a further currency through a, a book which sold millions of copies. I can remember this coming out when I was a boy. Uh, it's called The Late Great Planet Earth. And, this, and there's a film linked to this as well which popularized this idea enormously. And then more recently, uh, there have been a whole series of novels which have been, I believe, been published in their millions, uh, which is called the Left Behind series of novels. And a series of films as well which have popularized this idea. And uh, so it, it, it's gained very wide traction in, 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 in particularly the United States, but also to some extent in this country. And many, many Christians would say that they believe, oh, they wouldn't question it. Oh, of course, there's going to be a secret rapture. Jesus is going to snatch away uh, the faithful Christians. And uh, you might have guessed by now that I'm not completely persuaded of this view. I will be explaining why in a moment. Um, but I do want to say at the outset that uh, many of those who hold this view are fine biblical Christians. We're not talking here about something which is a denial of the gospel. You know, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Many, of the, many actually hold this view would also hold to a, a, a view that God is sovereign in salvation. Uh, one example perhaps would, would be John MacArthur, for example, who's very widely listened to and he's very helpful in much of what he says, but he has to have this, 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 this dispensationalist view about the future. Um, 
So, you know, we, 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 we love uh, our brothers and sisters who, who, have, who would have a different view. Um, now, you might say, well, look, okay, if, if, these are, if, this, if it's not a gospel issue, if, if believing this is not going to send anybody to hell, uh, why are you talking about it? Why not just talk about salvation by faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I think the number of reasons why it is good to address this issue. First of all, because if you have a view whereby you think the world is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and sin is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and then Jesus is going to snatch away the faithful Christians, and then it's going to get really bad, well, that's not going to encourage you to preach the gospel, to tell us about Christ, and to, and to, to, to look for the future. You're going to sort of, you're going to sort of put the batons, hatches down, and sort of, okay, just kind of hang on here and here till I get raptured away. And, and, and you're not going to want to go out and preach the gospel and, 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 and serve Christ. There's a danger of that. Uh, another thing is that, why, another reason why I think it's important to, to, to look at this question is because it affects your use of time. If you think it's really important to, to, to get up, to, to see all the different prophecies that are being fulfilled and compare them with your Bible and so on, you're going to spend hours and hours and hours scouring the internet for you know this thing that's happening and that thing that's happening or reading this news article news, reading that news article and working out your prophetic scheme and it's going to use a lot of your time which, which if it's not what you're meant to be doing it's going to be a misuse of your time another reason why I think it's worth addressing this issue is because some people it seems to me who who've, who um, who who um, take this view uh, are, are to have quite a pessimistic view and also are often quite filled with fear it's about oh this terrible things are going to happen etc etc so and it can it can quite be quite crippling for them so I want us to consider this question and um, I want to the, 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 I want to consider the two main passages which those who advocate this um, idea of a secret rapture they will uh, they, they, they point to to justify their position both of them I've read this evening um, uh, we'll start with Matthew chapter 24 and verses 40 to 41 and then we'll go on to look at Matthew, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, and chapter, uh, chapter 4 so uh, first of all then Matthew chapter 24 now if you want to just have a look with me, have your Bible open there, um, and uh, the verses that are pointed to uh, are verses um, thirty, uh, verses forty and forty-one of Matthew chapter twenty-four. Uh, so it says there, two men will be left in the field. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Yeah, some of you might say, well, there you are, you see, that's, that's it, that's the rapture. Two people there, one taken, one snatched, taken, taken away, and one left. That's it. Well, have you ever heard the saying, a verse 
without a context is a pretext. Yeah? A verse without a context is a pretext. In other words, if you look at a verse without looking at its context, where it's found and what's the, what the surrounding verses are saying, you can make that an excuse for anything. Let me give you an example. Jesus said, hang the law and the prophets. So you might think, oh, Jesus means get rid of the law and the prophets. Well, no, actually, if you look at, look at these, the context, he says, on these two verses, you shall love the, on these two, you know, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, hang all the law and the prophets. So not, he's not saying get, get rid of the law and the prophets, he says they depend on them. So that's just an example of how a verse taken out of context can, you can make it mean anything. So, if you look at those two verses just like that, like without any context, you say, well, rapture, there we are. People are taken away. Well, hang on a minute. What's the context? So, let's, let's look at the context. And um, let's, let's think about the wider context first of all. This whole chapter, of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is answering, uh, Jesus is answering uh, a, a question, two questions which are put by the disciples in verse 3. They say to Jesus, Jesus had told them that, that well, the disciples had pointed out to, the, to Jesus that the buildings of the temple and how marvelous they are. And Jesus said to them, in verse 2, you see all these, do you not? I tell you, I say to you, there will not be one left not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the disciples come to him, verse 3, and they say, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So here are two questions that they ask. First, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And secondly, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the first question is, when is the temple going to be destroyed? When is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? The second temple is, when are you going to come? And it's going to be the end of the age. And Jesus answers those two questions. Uh, first of all, in the first half of the chapter, uh, up to verse 35, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, I don't have time to argue that this evening, but I have argued it on another occasion, and I might do so again in the future. But basically he's saying in these first 35 verses, these are the signs to look for that Jerusalem is just about to be destroyed. And in particular, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, this was saying, when you see the temple being desecrated, you see an idol being put up in the temple, that's the time to get out of Jerusalem. That's the time to flee. Because that's the sign that Jerusalem is just about to be destroyed. And uh, history tells us that that's exactly what happened. That when, when the Roman armies came and they desecrated the temple, in Jerusalem, the Christians who knew this passage, they said, right, guys, time to go. And they fled from Jerusalem because they, 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 they knew this scripture. 
But then when he comes to, he then comes to answer the second question, which is, what will be the sign, remember, the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the second question, how we know that you're just about to come and wrap up the history of the world? And Jesus answers that question, verse 36. But concerning that day or hour, in other words, his coming, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. See, there's a great difference between the destruction of Jerusalem, when it's very clear signs, and when he's going to come again, he says, no one knows. He says, not even the angels of heaven know. He said, not even the sun knows. At least when, when he was on earth, in his state of humiliation, even Jesus didn't know when he was going to come back. His coming is going to be a complete surprise. It's going to catch everybody unaware. Now remember, he's talking now about his coming and the end of the age. The end of the world. Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so it will be coming, so it will be, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now what's he saying there? Is he saying, it'll be just as terrible and awful as it was in the days of Noah? Well, it was sinful, but the point is what he's saying there is people were just living ordinary lives. Eating, drinking, giving in marriage. Just carrying about their everyday business until suddenly, they were unaware. And then suddenly, the flood came and swept them all away. He says, that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What's he talking about here, the coming of the Son of Man? He's clearly talking about his second coming. He's clearly talking about the end of the age. He's talking about the final destruction of this world and the recreation of a new world. That's what he's talking about at this point. And he's saying, no one knows when it's going to happen. It's going to come suddenly and unexpectedly. And then that's the context in which we have this verse, verse 40. Then two men will, left, will be left in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Then, at this time when he comes again, at the end of the age, that's when one will be taken, the other will be left. Not some sort of secret coming before his final coming. Not some sort of interim coming that Jesus will make, but no, that coming when he comes at the end of the age, that's when. And what's he talking about? Well, because at the end of the age, as we'll see when we come to 1 Thessalonians, what's going to happen is those who are the Lord's when he comes and who haven't yet died, as Jesus comes down from heaven with the souls of those 
who have already died, those who belong to Christ will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air when he comes. So this isn't talking about some sort of secret rapture or some sort of secret snatching away. This is talking about what's going to happen at the end of the age. When Jesus comes in full view of the whole world and Jesus ends this world. And that is very, very public because we know that from if we go back to to verses, if you look back with me to verses 23 to 27, because he warns about false Christs who will come saying, oh, you know, there's, a, there's Jesus down the road, or there's Jesus here. Or, or Je- I remember a few years ago, somebody told me, oh, have you heard Jesus in Whitechapel? It was in the East London Advertise, Jesus in Whitechapel. Well, no, because look what it says, Jesus says. He says, um, uh, verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead, if possible, lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes, it's not going to be some sort of secret, you know, snatching away a few people. No, it's when he comes. It's going to be completely visible, completely open. Now, this interpretation is then confirmed by what Jesus then goes on to say. Because he then goes on to say, coming back to where we were, if we go then on, he says, um, uh, verse 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. What's he talking about that? He's talking again about the second coming. The final second coming. But verse 43. But if they know this, if the master of the house had known at what, time, what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Talking about the idea of a thief in the night, which, as we'll see, is, recurs in lots of other places in Scripture. Again about the second coming. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What's that coming? Again, it's the, it's the second coming. It's the final coming of Christ. And then you go on in the context. You look at these different parables that Jesus then tells. The parable of the faithful and wise servant, verses 45 to 51. What's that talking about? It's talking about how if Jesus comes, when Jesus comes back, he finds people who claim to be his. And they've been lazy and abusive towards others. He says, verse 50, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour that he does not expect, does not know, and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's that he's talking about? The final judgment and false believers, false servants of Christ being sent to hell. And then... He goes on, the parable of the ten virgins. I'm sure many of you will know this parable of the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five had the oil, five did not have the oil. 
The, what, the oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Some did have the Holy Spirit. Some didn't have the Holy Spirit. But they're professing believers. And the five without the oil, the air without the Holy Spirit, they're shut out. And Jesus says, verse 13, Therefore, watch therefore, you do not know the day or the hour. What's the day or the hour? It's again the second coming, the final second coming. Then the parable of the talents. Again, another parable about the second coming of Christ. And then the sheep and the goats, which is not a parable, verses 31 to 46, but a description of the final judgment. Again, about the final second coming of Christ. So the whole context of these verses of, of verses uh, uh, verse 40 and 41 two men will be in the field one will be taking the other left two, will be, two women will be grinding in the, the mill one will be taking the other the whole context from, from uh, verse 36 of chapter 34 right the way through to the end of chapter 25 is all about the second coming the final second coming of Christ it's not talking about some sort of secret interim rapture at all but it's talking about what's going to happen when Jesus comes again well then let's go to the other passage which is referred to uh, sometimes um, yeah, in, 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 context, in, this, in relation to this question about the, the rapture secret, a secret, so called secret rapture and it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 And it says in verse 17, then we, this is page 1174, if you want to follow, be in this passage for a little while. Uh, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Ah, there we are, somebody says something, see Caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's rapture. Well, again, once you look at the context, you realise that it's not talking about some sort of secret coming of Christ at all. Let's go, go read it. Let's go on. Let's, we, we've read it already. I won't read it through, but look at verse 13 there. Why is he talking about this? Well, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, those who've died. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. What's the hope of the believer? The hope of the believer is that Jesus is going to come again. And those who've died, their souls will be reunited with their bodies and they'll be with the Lord for in, in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our hope. He says, look, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who, who are asleep, those who've died. They're okay. They're with the Lord at the moment and when the Lord comes, he'll bring them with him and he'll reunite their bodies with their souls. That's what he talks about in this passage. He's talking about his second coming. Final second coming. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. You see, those, the souls of those who've died, those who've fallen asleep, 
they are with Jesus in paradise. We know that also from the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember, the Lazarus, the poor man, went to Abraham's bosom in paradise. And, when, and, and, and so all the souls of those who belong to Christ, they're quite safe. They're with Jesus at the moment. They're with Jesus in paradise. And being comforted, as Lazarus was comforted. But then when Jesus comes again, he will bring with him the souls of those who fell asleep. When is that? That's at the time of his final second coming. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're not going to get a resurrection body before they do. So don't worry, he says. They are going to get their resurrection bodies. And they'll get them before we do. Those who have already died. Because what's going to happen, he says, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now that is not a secret rapture, is it? A cry of command, a voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. That's not sneaking in and sna quickly snatching a few people away. No, this is very public, very loud. And as he comes down with the second coming, the dead in Christ will rise. So what that means is those, the souls of those who've died already will come back with Jesus. And as Jesus comes down from heaven with those souls, their bodies will rise up from the grave and we will, their bodies will be taken up and they will, their souls will be reunited with their bodies as Jesus comes down from heaven. Then he says, verse 17, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, as Jesus comes again, as part of his second coming, we who are alive, those Christians who are still alive at the time, their bodies will be, they will never die, their bodies will instantaneously be transformed into resurrection bodies, and then they will join the saints who are, or whose bodies have already been raised from the dead, and they'll meet the Lord, and they'll meet the other saints, and there'll be a great reunion in the, in the air. And then where will they go? Will they go up to heaven? No. They'll come down to earth. And they'll enjoy the new earth that God is going to bring into being as Jesus comes again. And he so he says, so we will be always with the Lord. He's talking about the final coming of Christ. And so he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And this interpretation, again, is confirmed by what he goes on to say, because he then goes on to talk about, he says, verse, chapter 5, verse 1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, we have no need to write anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's that, that idea again. He comes like he's coming like a thief in the night. 
this second coming of Christ. Unexpectedly. Nobody knows when it's going to be. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon us, upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So this is the final second coming of Christ. Nothing to do with any so-called secret rapture at all. It's to do with Jesus coming again to finally judge the world. Well, so we see then the two passages that are pointed to to um, justify a so-called secret rapture have no foundation. And you, I, I'd, I'd say to you, where else? What other verses can you point to? What verses can anybody point to which will justify a secret rapture? There are no verses. It's not there in the Bible. It's just, just not, at least I can't see it. If, I can, if you can see it, tell me. Because I've never seen it. I've read the Bible a few times, I've never seen it. It's just not there. Well, so what conclusions can we draw? Well, first of all, there is no such thing as a secret rapture. It just is not there. It's not there in Scripture. It's a man-made idea which has no foundation in Scripture. Instead, there is just one coming of Christ. We're not, there's not two comings of Christ. It's just one coming, which is going to happen when he is ready and when God is ready. And uh, it will come, when it happens, it will be very public, not some sort of secret coming. It will be very public. It will be unexpected, and it will be final. Well, what applications then can we take from this for ourselves? Okay, it might sound a bit negative, what I've said, sort of saying, well, there is no secret rapture. But what, what positively can we draw from this? Well, the first thing we must see from this is that it's really important to make sure you're saved. If Jesus could come back at any moment... You've got to make sure you're saved now. What would happen to you if you were to die tonight? Would you go to heaven? Would you go, go to be with the Lord? Or would you, would you be separated from him forever? It's really important to make sure that you are saved. Another application is this. Don't be distracted with trying to find all sorts of signs of Jesus coming again. You won't find them. Because Jesus says he's going to come at a time when nobody knows, nobody's expecting. So don't waste your time trying to find, you know, oh yeah, well I've worked it out, it's going to be sometime in 2024. No. It's a waste of time. If you try to work that out, you're, you're saying you're better than, than Jesus and the angels. Just say, I don't know. I don't know when he's coming. And don't worry, don't spend any time trying to find signs of his coming. Another thing is this. Don't try to get out of suffering. In What I mean is this. You see, part of this whole thing about the secret rapture is, oh, well, if you don't get, if you don't get watch out, 
then and, and you don't get one of these people who get raptured, you're going to get you're going to land up in in the great tribulation. You're going to land up with with suffering. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you're going to suffer anyway. Jesus said, didn't he? In the world you'll have tribulation. Get get used to it. You're going to suffer. I mean, we've actually had a pretty easy time up till now in this country in the last 150 years or so. Doesn't look like it's going to carry on that way. Looks like people are going to lose their jobs for saying that a man who pretends to be a woman is actually really a man. Or they might have their bank account frozen. Might be... Might, might land up in prison or worse think of Josephine's friends in Pakistan who, who've had their well, their acquaintances or people they know of who've had their church buildings destroyed and, and their houses gutted we've got to get used to it this is going to happen and you know you can't expect to just get zipped out of it and, 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 not, and not have yeah we're going to suffer until Jesus comes again. There will be suffering. But then also, positively, not only is there suffering, this might sound paradoxical, but we are also assured that that the gospel is going to succeed. Through many trials and difficulties and tribulations, yes, but Christ is king. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gospel is going to triumph. I know it's, it's controversial in interpretation but it seems to me that some passages like Isaiah 2 which talk about swords being turned into plowshares are talking about the effect of the gospel spreading over the world. You say it doesn't look like it's happening in Britain at the moment. Well maybe not. But look at what's happened in China in the last... 50 years. Look at what's happening in Africa. Look what's happening in Latin America. The gospel is going forward. Brazil, the gospel is going forward. All over the world, it's going forward. Yes, there's prosperity gospel, there's false gospels, we know that. But even so, the number of Christians in the world is massively increasing. Don't get this defeatist mentality, oh, God, we know put the shutters down and wait, wait to be raptured. No! Get out there and preach the gospel. And then also another application is we should be looking forward to the coming of Christ. Our king, our king is coming. Not sort of some defeated, you know, one who's got to kind of just snatch a few people rescued out of this world and before the whole thing just goes up in flames. No, our king is coming in triumph. Lift up your head. What does it say? Lift up your heads for the coming king. The king is coming. To establish his kingdom on earth. Be confident in your king. I know it's difficult. You know, you've got a dozen people in church. Think, well, doesn't look very triumphant, does it? But have faith. Believe in our God and believe in our gospel. Who's to know what's going to be in even five, ten years' time? We don't know, do we? We don't know what the Lord might do. And certainly we know there are wonderful things happening in other parts of the world. So uh, be confident in our King and look forward to his coming again.